Welcome to Get You Fit Radio. My name's Irene Cook, and I'm your radio host. And today I have a special guest with me. We're going to talk about running. I have so many clients and so many fans and followers who are always trying to get into running. And I thought as a special fun show, I would bring in a friend and client of mine who is not only a runner, but who has uh, a lot of years of running under his belt. Um, he started running a long time ago and in fact uh, ran the Boston Marathon several times. Um, first time that he ran the Boston Marathon was in uh, 1969 and uh, ran it 10 times. Uh, the last time he ran it was in 2014. So before before I introduce the guest, I want to talk a little bit about running, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, how marathon running has changed over the years. Um, to give you a little recap, uh, between the year 2008 and 2018, marathon participation has increased by over 50%. The number of people who have completed marathons in 2018 was 1.2 million. Uh, between 2008 and 2018, marathon participation increased by over 50%. The number of people who completed marathons in 2018, like I said, was 1.2 million, um, which is astonishing. And obviously, you guys all know this. Uh, back in 2008, many people didn't even know what 26.2 meant. Uh, I ran my first marathon in 2004. I remember going to the race expo and getting this really awesome hat that said 26.2 and I would wear it. I was so excited. People would ask me, what is that? What does that mean? Uh, is that your age? <laughs> uh, why would I be wearing my age on my hat? Where now we see 26.2 on virtually every other car that drives by. Uh, marathon running has its origins dating back to 490 BC. The event's name comes from the Greek legend of Philippides, who is said to have run from Marathon to Athens to bring the news of Greeks' victory to the Battle of Marathon. Centuries and decades had followed since, but the sport's popularity has not faded. And there have been many, many changes. Well, obviously, with all of the changes, there's been a lot of technology changes, there's been a lot of uproar, and there's been a lot of commotion as well. And due to all of this, there's been an uprage of more races and uh, qualifying times. But the, the one thing is the Boston Marathon, 
And if you're not familiar with the Boston Marathon, um, it is one of the oldest marathons in the United States. And this year, in 2022, um, it will be running its 125th um, marathon. You do need to qualify to run this marathon. And it is one that many people are unable to run because of its um, difficult qualifying time. Um, So my guest that I have here uh, with me today, um, his name is Al. So Al, thank you so much for coming to the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, first off, uh, I, I have to say that uh, Al is a client of mine, and uh, he lives uh, near me in Marengo. Um, and he he simply Googled me and found me. Uh, and, and I'm going to kind of start out by having him uh, first share how and why he uh, he approached me and, and, and wanted to uh, uh, find my services. And, and what was your, your desire to, to get healthier? After being such a runner, uh, it it has a lot to do with being retired and and you know physically not being able to run as much anymore, and a lot of it had to do with my life being going from being goal oriented towards running a marathon where you train so many miles every day to being more process oriented. Why this is how you need to conduct your life and discipline yourself without having a specific goal in mind. So it it just is, I was gaining weight and which happens to a lot of people when they stop running mm-hmm. is you gain weight at a, at a terrific rate because you just, when you run a marathon and you're training for a marathon, you can eat almost anything. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, it's because you just run it all off and, and the habit of of not being well disciplined about the foods you eat uh, just it carries through and you just keep eating and eating and eating and and I gained probably a good 30 pounds and I wanted to get get back to where I was feeling better I was having some um, heart difficulties and you know lo and behold I lost uh, I went from 191 down to 175, and I had to go in and sit down for an uh, not a, an echogram, and it came out a lot better than anyone expected. So phenomenal! It you know it works out well to just not be carrying around so much weight. It's good for you physically and. Fantastic. It's much better for you. Good. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what made you start running uh, and and uh, what what age you were when you did start running? I think I was about uh, 14, and I I couldn't play football. I just I just didn't have the build for it. I was a skinny little guy, <laughs> and it, it just seemed like... Uh, it just seemed like uh, the running was a way to you know, inflate that uh, high school ego that, you know, everybody goes through, a lot of guys go through that period where they need to be reinforced somehow. And so I started running, and I was I was fairly good at it, and I found it quite enjoyable. It just there was a freedom about it that I enjoyed. And, and so I ran all through high school and college and and on from there. 
So, so so back then obviously there were not marathons everywhere and 5k's like you see today so so how did you go from running uh, high school running college to the point where you decided I'm going to go to Boston and run the Boston Marathon I had a, a friend on the college track team that was uh, very oriented towards running longer distances and uh, he he talked me into running the uh, Boston Marathon with him, and I didn't know any different. I just said, yeah, okay, we can train for this. We'll run a couple 15, 17-milers, uh, maybe a 20-miler or two. And it was, you know, it, there was no specific uh, training plan. Like, you, you've got about a jillion of them out there these days. Oh, of course. But we, had, we just said, okay, this sounds good. And being in the Midwest and where it gets dark early, we'd find ourselves out there, you know, practically in the middle of the night getting chased, chased by trucks and <laughs> everything else. And we, it's, it, was, it was just difficult to get in some of those long training sure, hours. Sure, so. sure. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, when you went to the race, uh, that very first uh, time you went out to Boston. Tell us about uh, race day. What was it like? Because obviously now um, when you go to register, there's quite a process, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but when you showed up for that race, tell us what that was like. Well, it's just everybody showed. It was later in the day, and I wasn't used to that. Um, but because uh, it didn't start until noon. So it was uh, in Hopkinton High School. It's just like your little local 5K or half marathon. It's a lot like the one they run out of Cary. Mm -hmm. And um, there were no goodie bags. There was no... Uh, there were no food stands or anything else out there. And you walked up, and there was one person at one registration table. And the guy who ran the race, Jock Semple, uh, put eyeballs on everybody who walked up to get a number. He was very specific about that. And he was the same race director who pulled uh, Catherine Switzer out of the 67 tried to pull Catherine Switzer yes. out of the 67 marathon. As it was that old school, uh, women shouldn't be doing this, uh, you know, it's going to be harmful to them or whatever. But it was, there was nobody running a race for a cause or trying to build money up for XYZ school or anything else like that. Was, we were just all out there running. Sure. For, and uh, about how many people would you say were running? You know, it was probably um, 1,500 to 2,000. Okay. I felt, I felt very good about getting into the second row. Okay. And, and we ran from there. The problem I had is, is being still in college and still trying to get ready for a track season. In April, I would, I'd been doing like 400-meter repeats on the track and okay the gun goes off and okay i need to do a 65 second quarter mile here and you just can't do that sure when you got you know 26 more of these miles to go exactly. you don't do the first one in 504 and 
and and expect to live. Exactly. So we, that my friend, it, it was a little more confusing than I thought it would be, but he got a hold of me and said, slow down, we got a ways to go. And he had a specific plan for how to run this and it's just let people pass you for the first five miles, the first quarter of the race, and then, then you stay even for the next quarter of it. Then you slowly pass people for the next quarter of it. Then at the very end, you're just passing people like they're, you know, signposts. And it and it, what's amazing is that, you know, it's. Um, you stay about the same pace, mm-hmm. and I had no no concept of the pace of it. But so there were no obviously GPS watches. No GPS watches, and there were no, you know, you're at mile twenty two or mile thirteen. No mile markers. <clears throat> no mile markers that I remember. Um, they, uh, I want to say they closed most of the course, but towards the end of it, we did a lot of curb hopping and there were cars out there on the street. Wow. And you're back and forth in and out of traffic. And that's amazing. Amazing. So was there crowd support along the way? Yeah. My mom came out and waved at us a couple of times and, uh, now you can't even, no, you can't even drive anywhere close to the marathon. Absolutely. But there were, there were some people Wellesley had, um, it's not the screaming event that it is now, but there were a lot of people out there, you know, supporting Mm -hmm. the event and they'd yell your number out and, um, so yeah, it was, it was fun, but it's not like, I don't know, I I ran, um, I've run marathons in uh, Minneapolis where there was wonderful support. Yeah. Uh, Chicago has a has a terrific crowd support for it anywhere on the course. Sure. Um, there are a lot. There's just a lot of there's a lot of good marathons and a lot of fun. And it, I think communities take pride in how much Absolutely. they support different marathons. Absolutely. Now. Um, and and he mentioned Wesley, and I just have to say that uh, that's the part on the course where you go through uh, this college town. And um, as a runner, as you're approaching the course, you know that you're getting there. Um, two two things strike you: one, um, the smell of beer as you're as you're getting towards the the course, because like like Al said, the race starts uh, a little later in the day. So by the time you get to Wesley, it's around noon, one o'clock. So you smell beer. Um, and then it is so loud from the screaming um, from these college kids that it, it's almost painful. Um, if you're wearing earphones and listening to music, you don't hear the music um, because of the, 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 the screaming and the yelling and the, the, the crowd support. So um, it's interesting that 50 some years later that that is now grown to the to the point of, of where it is. Um, and and uh, question for you, um, timing, how, how did they time you? How did they know? They, what they didn't have chip timing or anything else like that. When the gun went off, they started the clock. And when you finished, why, you know, they wrote down your time. That was it. Interesting. It was, um, I don't know, they, um, yeah, it, it was just uh, how it works at, at a lot of the small town 5Ks, 5Ks. half marathon where everybody gets up to the starting line at about the same time and gun goes off and 
you're Absol- all done. Absolutely. So. Uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Huntley Community Radio, WHRULP, and I have a special guest here uh, who is sharing with us his experience at the Boston Marathon back in uh, 1969. And uh, as he was uh, sharing with us the start of this, uh, he had mentioned that there were no women uh, that were allowed at the race. Um, and um, I, I do want to ask, uh, when you ran that year, uh, was it men only on the course? It was mostly men on the course. Um, there was one woman um, who was in the line behind me somewhere, and the race director said, no, she's not allowed. And so she unofficially had to run the marathon uh, she ran it with her husband, so I'm pretty sure that's how she got her unofficial time. But she was not allowed to have a number. And I don't know if it was just the feeling that the race director had about, um, you know, this is my property. I'm, this is my race. I get to say who runs it. Uh, you know, if you go back Olympic history, back in like 1928, um, they had... For the first time, they had women's track events. Um, the Olympic history goes back, and women were always involved, but in more ladylike stuff like tennis. But uh, going out and running in shorts and a T-shirt was absolutely verboten for most women. Um, so 1928, they had uh, women's track events, and they had an 800 meters, and they, the media built it up to being such an exhausting distance for women to run, and it, it was, it was such a, I don't know. It was such an event, an exhaustive event for women that they didn't allow women to run the 800 meters again until 1960, and they didn't allow women to run the mile, the 1500 meters until 1972 in the Olympics. So there was there was a lot of that thinking that women were frail and they would be irreparably harmed by running anything, you know, further than a block or 400 meters. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it was just a lot of the old wives' tale sort mm-hmm. of thinking that, you know, um, women had a specific purpose and this couldn't possibly be good for them to, mm. to do this. Right. And, it, and it's interesting because now fast forward uh, to the year that you ran your last Boston, which would have been 2014. Um, and I was actually there as well. Um, the course had 35,000, a field of 35,000 people. And obviously, uh, you had to qualify. Um, and uh, looking back at your first Boston, you you didn't have to qualify, or did you? You had to submit a five k. I think you uh, we, said that was the last year they allowed people to um, to run without a qualifying marathon time. We sent in uh, mile times or um, you know cross country times from the year before or anything else like that. And just to show that we could run that sort of distance, but we didn't have to submit a marathon time. Uh, there are very few places that that anyone could run a a marathon 
as they didn't start uh, running marathons in Chicago, uh, places like that, until later on in the 70s, 1978. And uh, so it, it was difficult to get a, mm-hmm. a, quali- a qualifying marathon time, but they insisted on it at Boston so that they could regulate the numbers a little bit. They thought that it was it was too much of a strain on Boston traffic to shut everything down and um, keep the street open for as long as they did. Right. So, which makes sense, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and here we are all these years later. Um, and since, since uh, the year of the bombs, which again, you were at, um, the, the difficulty level of getting in has, has increased tremendously. Um, and so, so you have qualified every year. Um, but I believe now with you doing it 10 years, you've, your legacy, um, and if you don't know what that is, uh, if you're listening, um, after so many years of running uh, the Boston Marathon, uh, you become a legacy member, which means you don't have to qualify any longer. You could just uh, hop on the course and pretty much, well, you still have to register. But um, And uh, regardless, um, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, experience at the 2014 uh, Boston Marathon? Mm-hmm. That was, and that was a, a special year because that was the year after the bombs. It was. There was a lot more community support. There was the Boston Strong Movement. Yes. And um, it, it was, you know, it was a kind of, kind of thing that uh, Boston was very proud of the fact that the way they had recovered, the way they had uh, handled the situation in 2013, um, not so much to not concentrate on so much on the on the actual bombing but to concentrate on how people reacted how how much outreach there was we had uh, there's a book uh, called perfect strangers i think it is where where people just accepted marathon runners into their homes and took care of people and and um it was it was a good community reaction for boston so they wanted to show that off. I was I had a terrible time my last year as I was I was hurting badly from uh cramps and a couple other, you know, physical difficulties. So I hadn't been able to train for it nearly as well as mm-hmm. as I had in the past. But um but it was still quite an enjoyable experience. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so. and uh that year again uh was extremely special because of of the the community uh the the streets were lined with um yellow flowers and uh it was it was definitely an event uh to be at but um with a with a field of 35,000 uh runners um close to 50% of them were women um so so it was interesting i'm sure for you to see the growth over the years and seeing um your first race of uh, seeing one person, one woman sneak in, um, to then seeing the growth of going from that to fifty percent women. Mm. Well, it's um, I don't know. It was it has a lot to do with the um, that male ego sort of thinking at the time. I remember um, Catherine Switzer talks about it in her book uh, Marathon Woman, how one of the people on our team named Tom uh, just 
said, yeah, if a woman can do it, I can do it. And it's, um, there was that thinking that, well, you know, I, I had to hold back my ego at first and follow this one woman and her husband for the first five, six miles. And, oh, my goodness, I'm following a woman. This how horrible. <laughs> and, but she ran a smarter race. She was, she was very wise about the way she ran. And a lot of women um, are more disciplined. And they brought to the whole sport some humility and some very necessary um, look at, 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 you know, people's character and discipline rather than at, just, well, okay, she's a skinny, frail little woman, and she can't possibly run this. But it's, um, I, I think we've grown a lot yes. as a society because of it. Yes. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what's interesting is um, today uh, is, is the very first day that uh, Al and I have met in person. Um, we've been working together um, now for six months or so six months yeah and um uh we met for the first day as as we uh, came here to do the show and um uh we i think have been at i've ran boston six times you run at 10 i think we've been at maybe three four five of them at the same time and um uh, when i am done with the show i'm going to go home and our, our times are pretty parallel i'm going to go home and and cross match um, our times because we we discussed earlier uh, our times in crossing the lines and and there were many times where I think maybe you and I were were parallel on that course there never well, know I seem to remember someone who looked a lot like you yeah. going going past me at about the five mile yep, point that was probably me there were there somebody with a vapor trail coming up for shoelaces <laughs> you were smoking was fast. I was I screaming trust you, the process you, trust you, the process yeah no you were saying uh, ha ha I'm beating you <laughs> it nader, was nader, it was nader. definitely me <laughs> well thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for sharing your your story and uh, definitely Definitely, if you're listening, um, next uh, next week I have another guest, and she's somebody that I actually trained to qualify for this year's race. So she's going to give her perspective of what it was like to get into this year's race. So thank you for joining. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Time is running out. I'm talking here and now. I'm talking here and now. It's not about what you've done, it's about what you're doing.